Well, it's that time of year again. Projects are in full swing, and you know what that means. you got to make that trip up to Jacob's Supply. Whether you're a contractor or builder, or you're checking those things off the to-do list around the house, now is the time to visit Jacob's Supply. Guys, listen to some of the crazy good deals they have going on right now. PVC decking for $2.99 a linear foot in 10 different colors. Composite decking for $2.35 a linear foot in two colors. Treated decking for $0.65 a linear foot. Duralife composite rail kits available in select colors starting at $64.99. And don't forget the vinyl rail kits also available in stock. Need the fasteners? They have those too. Hidden or visible? Clips or screws. Jacob Supply is located in Temperance, Michigan, but ships many products nationally too. So whether you're in-state or out-of-state, they're just a click or call away. Check them out at www.jacobsupply.com or call them at 734-224-0978. That's 734-224-0978 or click the link in the description of this episode. Jacob Supply, your one-stop shop for products you need at prices you love. Hey guys, you got to join us at the Thank God for Bitcoin 2024 conference in Rocket Town, Nashville, July 24th and 25th. Last year was phenomenal and this year is going to be even better. G.K. Chesterton once said, I never discuss anything else except politics and religion. There is nothing else to discuss. Given how secular our current world is, this might sound strange. We can think of many things that don't initially seem political, but whether we recognize it or not, religion and politics define the playing surface and rules that govern our lives and actions. And money is one of the most powerful tools in enacting the wills of both government and God. Although we all use it, few Christians have a rich, biblically grounded, historically informed framework through which to understand what money is, and consequently the effect it necessarily has on how we think about economic issues. Well, that won't fly at this conference. We're talking stewardship, dominion, and the economics of glory with some of the biggest names around. Speakers include Michael Foster, C.R. Wiley, Dr. Ben Merkel, Dr. Glenn Sunshine, Nate Fisher, Jordan Bush, and many, many more. You won't want to miss this lineup. This is one of the most intellectually powerful theologically sound, and all-around good time conferences you can go to this summer. So go to www.tgfb.com, that's Thank God for Bitcoin, www.tgfb.com, and get your tickets today, or click on the link in the description of this episode. See you there, guys. Christians, are you tired of just talking about starting a parallel economy and not doing anything about it? The Workspace Conference is the catalyst you've been waiting for. Join us this June 28th and 29th at the Hilton in downtown Fort Worth, Texas. Engage with leading Christian thinkers like David Bonson, C.R. Wiley, Steve Jeffrey, David Reese, and Andrew Krapyshevs. They'll share invaluable insights on how to actively integrate your faith with your professional life in ways that really matter. These leaders are not just thinkers, but doers, shaping a Christian approach to business that makes a real impact. This event is more than speeches. It's a vibrant networking hub for Christian professionals and entrepreneurs eager to create substantial change. It's an opportunity to forge meaningful connections, explore new business opportunities, and collaborate in a faith-driven environment. Don't miss the highlight of our networking opportunities, the exclusive speakers dinner. This is a premier event where you can dine with our speakers and other influential guests, deepening relationships and discussing ideas in an intimate setting. We are also actively seeking partners who are passionate about building a Christian economy. If you're interested in collaborating or sponsoring, we'd love to hear from you. And make sure you join us for Beer and Psalms for some relaxed fellowship and let's turn our faith into action together. So reserve your spot now at www.worksbase.com That's worksbase.com or click the link in the description of this episode and be part of building a dynamic Christian professional community. Let's move beyond talk, fellas, and start creating the change we want to see. Exploring theology, doctrine, and all of the fascinating subjects in between 
Broadcasting from an undisclosed location, Dead Men Walking starts now. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Men Walking. I'm your host, Greg Moore, and I am alone tonight. <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. Yes, yes, I am. Jason is not here, our trusty sidekick and co-host, and I want to jump on here and just talk to you a little bit about Romans 13. We've talked about it before on the podcast, touched on it lightly, but I just want to go through the first seven verses and maybe kind of pull out some of the words and language that's being used in Romans 13, because that seemed to be a running theme right now with most Christians, especially what's going on with COVID and executive orders. And now this crazy week of elections, and as of this recording, I am recording a little bit early because I'm scheduled to go up north, get in my yearly week of hunting and uh, spending time in nature, which I believe is a common grace of God. I, I feel very close to the Lord when I sit out in my deer blind for eight hours at a time with no cell phone and no emails and just really focus on his beauty and creation. And then if uh, I'm blessed enough to harvest meat for my family, uh, I'm blessed again by being able to feed my family through the life that that animal has given up. So um, I'm recording a little bit early now, but as of right now, November 11th, we are eight days into an election where we have contested results, we have fraud going on, we have the political divide of two different parties fighting with each other. And within that, even the Christian community, Romans 13 is coming up uh, talking about obedience to governing authorities. And Romans 13 is usually the first place that most Christians go when we talk about obeying laws or, or obeying authorities that God has instituted. So I wanted to read those first seven verses. And, you know, this won't be too long of an episode. We just want to jump into seven verses, kind of exegete that a little bit, kind of see what we come up with and see how we should read Romans 13. So let's jump right in. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, Romans 13, and we're just going to do the first seven verses. I like to go through it verse by verse and then kind of reflect on each verse. Okay, But to give you kind of an overview of Romans 13, obviously we have Romans 12, the chapter before, and obviously when Paul was writing a letter, there was no chapters, no verses. It was one continuous letter. So it's always good to read things in context. Paul is giving us an example of how to live spiritually. And then he kind of shifts gears in 13 and starts talking about real world issues like a political realm and a governmental realm and kind of how you have to live in the real world as a Christian. So verse one opens like this. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now let's stop right there. That's the first sentence in the first verse of Romans 13. And I want to make sure that we're looking at what he's actually saying. So when we hear, let every person be subject, uh, some people hear obedience or a blind obedience to, and that's not what Paul's saying at all. Uh, the, the word there is hupatasso, which actually means to arrange under, okay? Which means to bring yourself in compliance with. Doesn't mean a blind obedience to obey whatever they say. It says, recognize that there's a government, recognize that there's a political system, and bring yourself in alignment with that. 
So let every person be subject to, bring in alignment with, understand, and arrange under the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So right in the first verse, we see two big things. First of all, we arrange ourselves under and recognize that there is a political system and a governmental system. And then what's the very second part of that first verse is he reminds us of the sovereignty of God, that all of these authorities have been ordained by God and have been instituted by God. There's nothing outside of the purview of God or the control of God. He is sovereign overall. And even these authorities have been instituted by him. And I think this is important because Paul is reminding us of who God is and also how we should view God. Sometimes I think if we have a systematic theology that is open theism, for example, that God kind of knows but looks down the corridor of time and kind of lets man's free will kind of make decisions and then God reacts to that. He's not saying that. He's saying, no, this has been ordained and instituted by God. From the foundations of the world, he is sovereign over all. And we should act accordingly. And this is going to become a little bit more important as we go down the verses here. So verse 1, I'll repeat it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. He's given all authority. And those that exist have been instituted by God. He says, therefore. So based on what I just said, that's what therefore means. Look at what I just said, and now we're going to make some more points and reasons from what I just said. So therefore, Verse 2, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, this is a very famous verse for those who want to say we should blindly follow the government rules, regulations, and laws. They'll pull this out of context and they'll say, it says right there, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Well, We have to read everything in context when we read the Bible, right? We can't read one verse, pull it out, and then build a doctrine or a theology or an obedience to that. It is very easy to take one verse and make it say whatever I want when we, in fact, go micro and then we go to the macro. So we take one verse inside the context of a chapter, inside the context of a book, inside the context of the Bible, and we make sure that those all align and all make sense. But what's incredible here is if you just read to the next verse, Paul is predicating this whole thing on an assumption. So verse two says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And if you just read that verse, you go, okay, I have to do whatever the authorities say, or I'm going to incur in judgment because therefore, at the beginning of the verse, verse one, God has instituted everything and ordained that. But no, let's look at verse three because he's assuming something here. He's basing this on a foundation of verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So he's making the assumption that the authorities that have been ordained by God and have been instituted by God are there for rulers to be not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And I would say here, if you look at the word good, the meaning there is useful, agreeable, or upright. And the word for wrong, which I believe the ESV softens this a little bit, actually means evil, wicked, or destructive. So when you read that, you can say, for rulers are not 
a terror to useful people, agreeable people, or upright people, but in fact, those who do bad or evil, which kakas is the word there, which actually means wicked or destructive, okay? So I think it's very important here to see what Paul is basing this on. Verse three in full says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to evil or bad or wicked or destructive conduct. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? He's saying, do you want to have no fear of those in authority? Then do what is good and useful, and you will receive his approval, meaning the ruler's approval, the king, the emperor, the president, the senator, the local mayor, whatever level of government that we are to bring ourselves in alignment to. He's saying, do what is good and useful and upright. Don't be evil, wicked, or destructive, and you'll see favor, and you'll see approval. And verse four says, for he is God's servant for your good. So what he's saying there is a godly ordained instituted government will protect the good and punish the evil, which means that God is using governmental authorities in his common grace to bring vengeance and justice to those who do evil here on earth. That's how God works his justice in a godly appointed and instituted government. So when we read those first three verses, it's predicated on, or I'm sorry, the first two verses, it's predicated on what Paul is saying in verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So he's assuming that government protects those that are righteous, protects those that are useful, protects those that are agreeable, protects those that are upright, and that they actually punish those who do evil, do wicked, and do destructive acts. So I think that's very important to realize that Paul is saying that governments have been instituted by God, yes, and we are to obey the government, but the role of the government, right, the responsibility of the government biblically is to protect those who do good and do righteous works and to actually punish and discipline those who do evil or destructive works. So let's go on to verse four, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. And once again, that word wrong is kakas there. It means evil. Okay. Let's not soften that. Some people think, oh, doing wrong means uh, not wearing my mask or doing wrong means speeding five miles uh, over the speed limit. No, he's using a very harsh word there. He's saying evilness and wickedness. Okay. So, but if you do evilness or wickedness, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. So who is he? He's talking about the governing authorities. The governing authorities, when rightly instituted and set up, they don't bear the sword in vain against those who do evil. They will actually go out and punish, incarcerate, and prosecute those who do evil. So you can already see a godly principle at work here when Paul is talking about governing authorities. He's talking about a governing authority protecting anything that is righteous and prosecuting anything that is evil. So let's go on here. So, but if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is a servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers or evildoers. So Paul is stating what I just said a few minutes ago. He's saying here on earth, those that uphold righteousness, governmental authorities, and those that prosecute evildoers are actually being avengers of God. They are carrying out God's justice here on earth. So that's, that's something to think about as we think about both well-meaning and good governments and evil governments across the history of the world. There have been many governments that have actually persecuted the righteous and have upheld the evil. That isn't what Paul is talking about here. 
Paul is talking about governments that protect the righteous and that prosecute the evil. So verse five, therefore, one must be in subjugation. Okay, and there's that word again, not complete blind obedience, but bringing yourself in alignment with not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So Paul is twofold making an argument here. He's saying, yeah, do it so you don't, you know, don't be an evildoer because you're going to incur the wrath of the authorities that have been instituted by God, but also for the sake of your conscience as a follower of Christ what we're called to a higher standard of loving one another. So verse six says this, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So what does he mean when he says attending to this very thing and why you're paying taxes? Why are we paying taxes? He says you pay taxes so that you can have the governing authorities prosecuting evildoers. Now, isn't that interesting? Because we have a whole movement in this country right now by mainly a one political party, but it's cross political parties in some in some points that says we should get rid of law and order, that we should defund those who actually minister peace and are authorities appointed by God to prosecute evildoers. Yet Paul here is saying the main reason that you pay taxes, verse six, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to the very thing. And when he says very thing, he's talking about verses four and five, right? He's talking about governments actually prosecuting evildoers. So he says, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And that owed word there actually means a philo, okay? That's the word. A philo means where you're obligated to give. So where you're obligated to give honor, give honor, where you're obligated to give taxes, give taxes, where you're obligated to give revenue, give revenue, and where you're obligated to give respect, give respect. So once again, we're seeing in the first seven verses of Romans 13, a few things. One, we're not seeing a blind obedience to a government, right? I think across the board and across theology, almost every Christian will agree that when a law violates the law of God, that God's law supersedes man's law. So if we can all agree on that, we can see that Paul is arguing a few different things here. He's not arguing blind obedience to a government. He's saying, bring yourself in accordance with, in alignment with, know that there are political systems and governments that you will have to live under, right? Because in chapter 11 and 12, Paul is telling us how to live the spiritual life and, and, and how to uh, be Christ-like and all these things. And then he shifts gears and says, but you still live in the real world. And in the real world, we have governments and political systems and we have laws. So you need to bring yourself in alignment with those. He's not saying a blind allegiance. And then he's not saying pay taxes blindly either. He's saying who you're obligated to pay those taxes to, who you're obligated to give respect to, who you're obligated to give honor to. Nowhere does the Bible say that we are to respect evildoers or that we are to honor evildoers. In fact, God in Proverbs hates the wicked, does not give honor to the wicked, and actually says that there are a list of things in Proverbs that he finds an abomination that evildoers do. So as we talk about Romans 13, those first seven verses, and I'm going to go back and read them in full after we've kind of pulled out some of those things, we really need to see what Paul is saying here. So let's read it one more time, one through seven, straight through, and I won't interrupt or interject. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, 
and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. Therefore, one must be in subjugation, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of consciousness, or the sake of conscience, rather. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So as we look at Romans 13, I think the principle is very cut and dry. But what seems to happen is when people say, well, what if you have an evil government? What if you have a government that doesn't uphold the righteous and actually persecutes the righteous? And I would say most historians look here and they see that when Paul was writing this to the Romans, the Christians weren't even under a widespread official persecution. So anyone that says, oh, well, he was writing this to Christians that were being persecuted. So he says, just obey the law and go ahead and be persecuted and, and don't fight back. That actually isn't true. We didn't have the official persecution until about 20 years after Paul wrote this. So Paul's writing to Jews and Gentiles that are living under a Roman empire that are probably overtaxing them. There probably is some issues with taxation and overtaxation. But the point here is, what do we do when a government becomes evil or tyrannical? And I think that we have to look at the first few verses, especially going into verse 3 and 4, when Paul says that governments rightly instituted by God and rightly ran uphold the righteous and persecute evil. When we see governments professing tyranny and persecuting the innocent and persecuting righteous, I think we have to look at Romans 13 in context of what he's saying and says, well, everything Paul is telling us is predicated on verse four, that governments protect the righteous and are supposed to persecute evildoers or wrongdoers. When that is not happening, we have to look to the law of God. We have to look to the inherent inspired word of God and as I said at the top of the episode, we have to understand that the law of God always supersedes man's law. And usually for believers, that is going to bring persecution. When you're doing something righteous or making a righteous stand and you have an evil government or a dictatorship or a fascist government or a government that doesn't uphold righteous virtues and morals, well, then you're going to be persecuted. In fact, sometimes, even here in America, when you preach righteousness and you preach Christ crucified, you will get persecuted for that. And Christ said so much, right? He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring division, came to bring the sword. Now, does that mean that we physically are going out and advancing the kingdom and like the crusades and killing unbelievers and getting them to confess at knife point? No, what he's saying is rightly so in a fallen world, with sin nature and with depraved man, when righteousness is preached, when righteousness is stood up for, the fleshly man, the depraved man, will naturally rebel against it and it will cause division because the flesh wants nothing to do with righteousness and righteousness wants nothing to do with the sinful flesh. 
So I appreciate you listening to me tonight as I was flying solo and my trusty sidekick and co-host Jason was not here tonight. It wasn't that long of an episode, but I did want to get in there and just talk about those first seven verses of Romans 13. And if you're listening to this and you have any different ideas or interpretations, or when you read through Romans 13, you have some added tidbits that you might want to say, well, what about this? Or I think I read it this way. We're always open to comments. We get a lot of comments on our Facebook page, on our Instagram page, and sometimes even listeners will suggest subjects to us, and we do those here on the podcast. So we're more than willing to listen to a different point of view or a different interpretation and measure it against the Word of God. As always, we appreciate you guys interacting with our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Parler, Facebook, and YouTube as Dead Men Walking Podcast. Please feel free to get in touch with us there. Leave us comments, ask us questions, and hopefully we'll be able to get back to you. As always, make sure you tell a friend or someone you know about the podcast. We have had an amazing amount of growth over the last few months, which glory to God. I just posted something on our social media a few days ago showing that we had 67,000 interactions on social media on our across our three uh, social media pages, which is just unbelievable. And it's only because we have dedicated listeners like you actually telling people about the podcast. Hey, go check out Dead Men Walking, listen to them, uh, and make sure you comment and interact with us. As always, at dmwpodcast.com, we also have our merch cave. If you want to grab a hat or a sticker or a t-shirt or some other things there, be sure to check that out. And as always... God bless. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dead Men Walking Podcast for full video podcast episodes and clips, or email us at deadmenwalkingpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to check us out at dmwpodcast.com where you can purchase the best and snarkiest merch on the internet, support the show, and leave us a review or message. Dead Men Walking can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Dead Men Walking Podcast and on Twitter X at Real DMW Podcast. The Dead Men Walking Podcast is part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. For exclusive show content, be sure to download the Pub TV app and become a member. If you're a business that needs to reach hundreds of thousands of potential customers in your demographic, podcast advertising might be for you. Send all inquiries to Dead Men Walking Podcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits.